Hey there, this is Jonah with Gray Area. Welcome to our series Spotlight, where our mission is to build a bigger and more united house music community by sharing new and exciting artists, festivals, and event brands with you. In this interview, you'll hear from Josh Butler, a legend in the minimal house world, who will be playing in New York City this summer. Be sure to like this video and subscribe for more interviews like this. We're here today on Gray Area Interview Series with Josh Butler coming out of New Zealand. Josh, just answer the first uh, first part of this question, but tell us where you're from, what it's like, and uh, what the house scene is there. Yeah, so I'm from a town in the northwest of England called Warrington, is where I was born. Um, Warrington's situated in the middle of two major cities, Manchester and Liverpool. It's almost directly in the middle of the two. So... In terms of music, we were quite spoiled in Warrington because although there wasn't a lot happening in our town, um, we could be 20, 30 minutes from massive club events in, in the cities. So that was a great introduction for, for me getting into dance music. Um, but I also spent a lot of time in New Zealand when I was in school. I did all of my high school years in um a very rural town in the north of New Zealand, uh, which was a complete difference coming from the UK. <laughs> but, but it was amazing because I also really like the outdoors and, and nature and simple way of life. Um, so, th- I mean, th- there wasn't any music scene in, in that town in New Zealand. So all of my music, musical input came from being in the UK, really. It's only now, because I'm, I'm in New Zealand at the moment, um, there is a, a strong house scene developing. It's been growing over the past 10 years, I'd say. And um, things are in a pretty good place here at the moment. How would you say, you know, when you first kind of got to New Zealand, you know, as a professional, were there less clubs? Are you seeing like now there's more of an underground scene or there's more festivals? Kind of what's been happening to stimulate that? Yeah, but both of those things. So when I first came back to New Zealand to play was about seven years ago for an event in Queenstown called Electric Rush. Um, I've been lucky enough to go back there every year since, become really good friends with the promoter. But every year I would come back, there'd be another city get added onto the tour. So I've seen the growth of it. You know, it went from just Queenstown to then Queenstown, Auckland. Now it's like Queenstown, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch. There's an amazing club in Wellington called 121, um, which I think is possibly the best venue in the, in the country. Uh, it's dedicated to house and techno. The guys who run it, they're, they're probably like mid-20s. Um, really young and fresh to the scene, but they they get the music and uh, they're bringing all the right DJs over. Well, when, when the borders are open anyway, they've been bringing some wicked DJs over. Awesome. So how old were you when you first started DJing? Uh, I, th- I think when I started DJing, I would have been 14 or 15, but I was actually producing music before then. The DJing came into it later for me oh wow so i guess since you were you were an early starter you know what kind of music were you listening to like in the house or in high school you know when you were growing up um 
electronic music I was listening to. I was listening to quite a broad range, to be fair, but it mainly consisted of trance, house, uh, bits of hard house. At the beginning, anyway, later I got really into the hard house stuff. But at the very beginning, I'd say it was house and trance, mostly. <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that was on Radio 1, people like Pete Tong and Judge Jules, they were really pioneering that sound. Nice. Uh, given that early start, you know, it's funny, I think a lot of the a lot of you guys that I'm interviewing, the kind of starting around the age of 13, 14, DJing is pretty common. And I think it's telling. It's like, man, you really have to put years into this craft to really master it. Do you remember the first gig you played, whether it was, you know, a friend's house party or like something you actually got paid for? <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. Um, the first time I played in front of people was actually in that town in New Zealand, um, which, like I said, didn't really have any music scene. or didn't have any nightclubs or bars, <clears throat> but people had lots of land. So there'd be lots of like raves in a way so like, oh my god yeah yeah I and mean, we were school kids though you know what i mean we were like 15 16 but um people got wind that i was into djing and had decks and i had these big pa speakers and amplifiers and stuff so they were like josh do you want to come over we're having a party this weekend and bring the decks and that was they, they, they were my first gigs, really. Things just sort of progressed from there. I was playing all sorts of stuff there, mate. I was playing from Tupac to, to D&B and throwing in some house tunes when I had the opportunity. Wow. Man, that's awesome. I, I like It's uh, your own little version of like the 90s warehouse scene. Um, do you have kind of a particular memory or a time that stood out to you whether it was you know as an artist or as a fan where you felt like I'm going for this I want this to be my career um yeah I think uh, you know over those years that I've been talking about I was just getting more and more into music I was starting to get some tracks played on the radio and I was just really like obsessed to be honest I was fascinated and obsessed by music production and electronic music so when the time came like to to think about jobs and the rest of my life you know mum and dad sat me down like what do you want to do after school i was like i really want to give this music thing a go so that's kind of when i made the decision and i actually flew back to the uk to start um, a music technology course at that point wow that's amazing uh you know, one of the things that I like to just ask everyone, um, you know, as you mentioned, obviously growing up, you were listening to a lot of electronic music, different variety. I think that, you know, for people in our scene, and I know like my friends look at me this way, they're like, yeah, he only listens to house and techno music. And I'm wondering for you nowadays, is there any artist or genre that you listen to that kind of falls outside the realm of, you know, what your music is like? Yeah, um, yeah, mate, I rarely listen to house and techno music if I'm just chilling. I listen to a lot of reggae, specifically dub reggae, very minimal vocals, usually zero vocals, uh, but lots of effects and um, reverbs and echoes and stuff. So it's, these guys, for me, the producers of dub reggae music in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, 
they were the pioneers in a way of what I and a lot of other producers do is they were taking electronics and um, manipulating recordings of bands uh, to, to like make them sound space, space age. And uh, yeah, I, I find that music amazing because it's, it's very like out of this world sometimes with all the effects, really atmospheric. But there's obviously a lot of talent behind the band that are playing it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, just you kind of describing that sound, it's like to to anyone, and if you have it and you're watching this interview, listen to Josh Butler's music, you kind of get that, you know, I think, yeah. I think you have some of that sound where like, it's minimal, but it's very intricate and deep and, you know, a little hypnotic, uh, you know, one of the things, and, and I, I do want to get into this more later, but you're a frequent collaborator, whether a remixer or, you know, producing with others, often going B2B with some of your friends. If you had the opportunity to, you know, book out a night at your favorite club in the world and you get to pick who's playing and uh, maybe you go back to back with someone, what would that lineup look like? Is, is this just one guy or can I curate the whole As night? many as you want, as many as you want. Oh, mate, you've put me on the spot now. <laughs> Kerry Chandler's getting thrown into the mix without a doubt because he's he's one of my heroes in house music. Um, who else would I like to see? Maybe get Demure on from Toronto. He's a he was a legend back in the day and now had a resurgence and smashing it again. So um, me, Kerry, Demure, um, maybe Mr. G as well from legend. the UK. Yeah. yeah. I like that old school sound, you know, that I'm really into that raw, I guess it's the same as the reggae stuff really, but just the house, like minimal, raw, not, not too overthought really, kind of just a vibe, which is exactly what Mr. G's music is, you know, it's just vibey. There's not much arrangement in some of it, it's just consistent grooves. Definitely. Well, look, before I uh, want to dive into your career, last thing I want to ask here, you know, one of the things that I think has been interesting in the last couple of years, whether it's in Ibiza or, you know, even in the U.S., is kind of the rise of a lot of these party brands or, you know, branded events that have a certain vibe, aesthetic to them, you know, whether it's Defected or, you know, Alro, Circle Loco, there's, there's a ton of them. I'm curious if there's any kind of of these brands that you know speaks to you that either you play with that you love or that you'd love to play for that you haven't yet yeah i do a lot of stuff with the solid grooves guys you know michael bb pausa um because their style is very minimal and and stripped back so i really really get on with that style uh, and plus they know how to party as well we've had some good nights together <laughs> <laughs> Um, Paradise as well. Jamie Jones's Paradise is a, is a good one. Played for those guys at DC 10 a few times. Um, the music policy is a little bit broader, I would say. Uh, they get people like Alan Fitzpatrick and Nicole Mudeba, um, as well as myself on the more housey side of things and Carlo Leo, people like that. So it's, it is a bit, bit broader. Um, but yeah, again, great, great events and good crowd. Awesome. So, you know, kind of going into the early days of when you started releasing music, uh, as you were just talking about your sound, obviously, 
you know, I think overall you go for kind of a more stripped back, minimal, deep sound, you know, and listening to some of your early releases, it is that, you know, it's this fresh, deep house, a little bit of that four on the floor. Can you tell us about kind of that period from 2012 to 2015, just like who was influencing you at the time? Did you have a direction you were trying to go for or for you, you got in the studio and that sound was just what made sense? Yeah, I think that period of time was me trying to find my sound. And um, especially with Got a Feeling that blew up in 2013. After that big record, I almost wanted to distance myself from it a little bit and um, because it was the remix that blew up as well, the Pleasure Craft edit of the remix. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it wasn't actually my track that blew up. It was a remix of my track. Um, but I was kind of getting known for that sound. So I went in completely the opposite direction. And I think the next release after Got a Feeling was called No Frills on Mad, Mad Tech, which is Kerry Chandler's label. My tech records and that was um yeah really sort of underground uh minimal sounding thing and i was throwing hard house sounds in there as well so it's, i think what i was trying to do in that period is combine all of my uh musical tastes whether it be hard house drum and bass reggae whatever and i was putting it into the pot and trying to work out how all these pieces would fit together and so that, that Mad Tech EP was one of the first ones where I thought, okay, this is, um, I think I might have cracked it with this style. So I just sort of built on that and uh, just tried to evolve the style as, a, as the years went on. Definitely. Um, you know, as you mentioned, like that track, you know, the Got a Feeling remix, whether, you know, it's the Bontan or the Pleasure Craft edit of that you know, that was, that was obviously a huge one. Um, I feel like, especially in that period, but even, you know, to now, as we kind of mentioned earlier, you've often collaborated with other artists. You've often, you know, had remixes of your tracks or even, you know, you put out a version and then it's like the Josh Butler dub version as well. What is it about that? You know, do you like to just get in the studio with other people or do you think there's something about your music that just makes like your tracks I don't want to say easy, but like fun for other artists to remix maybe. I've never really put too much thought into this, to be honest. But um, I think there's different types of collaborations for me. So because I do a lot of stuff with vocalists as well. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of my defected releases are collaborations with vocalists. So the music is my domain and they will do the writing and singing of the lyrics. Um, but then we've also got producer collaborations like the the one me and Dennis Cruz have just done on yeah. Crosstown Rebels. Um, and that was, um, it's quite coincidental that that got finished really. And I'm really glad it did. But I started this track idea um, with a sample and it was quite different to my other stuff. So, I, and I was like struggling to get it finished. I knew that there was a good idea in there um, but me and Dennis were talking a lot at the time, you know, we were in lockdown, so we were on the phone every other day and just talking about stuff. And we were like, right, look, we should work on some music together. Um, so I sent him a few ideas. That was one of them. And, um, he managed to just 
bring the ideas out, you know, and, and finish it off. Because although I could hear potential in it, there's some tracks that just don't come together as easy as you'd hope, you know. So um, having two brains is better than one sometimes, especially when it's someone like Dennis Cruz, he knows his shit. Yeah, man. His, I mean, it's amazing. I feel like every time he puts out a track, it's just like Bport number one. It doesn't even matter. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's really got that magic touch. Uh, you know, and I think it takes, you know, some self-awareness on yourself as an artist to get to that point in a track. And you're like, I, I need some help on this. Um, I did want to ask you just about the relationship with Bontan, you know, obviously you know he came on early with that huge remix but you guys uh still i think you put out some music last year if i'm not mistaken and yeah you know for a long time we're we're doing this like back-to-back project playing extended sets you know how did you guys connect and just what what's that relationship like yeah so me, me and bontan andy his name is um he's literally one of my oldest mates so we knew each other way before we were successful or even known. Um, I went to university in Leeds and one of the guys I was living with in first year called Jay, uh, me and Jay got really close. He was into music as well. He was into DJing, like really passionate, amazing DJ, but never got into producing. But so, but Jay was like, oh, I've got a mate from home called Andy. He's into producing. You should meet him. So we linked up one day and, and make that that was it really the rest is history we just started working together we we made some terrible tracks over the years <laughs> <laughs> but luckily we also made some some pretty good ones um that's it mate that's that was like 10 years ago we got introduced so yeah we, we speak almost every day still me and andy that's great you know the <laughs> I think something that when I just going through like your Instagram and stuff and kind of looking at your past shows, something people might not know is that you supported Nile Rogers, you know, on a part of his tour a couple of years back. I think it was with Bonten. Uh, I just have to ask, like, how did that even come about? Like, did they reach out to you or like, what was, you know, what was it like sharing the stage with a guy like that? The reason it came about was because I mean, it was completely unexpected from from me and Andy, of course. But we had planned our own UK tour, back-to-back tour, where we were going to play for, I think we played for six hours each night, back-to-back. We did every city in the UK, and it was called Be True. So the, the, the whole idea behind the tour was to be true to the roots of house music. And it just so happened that Niall and Sheik had planned their UK tour around the same time. Um, and one of the guys we were working with at the time was very good mates with Niall. And Disco being the roots of house music, he put the links together, introduced us to Niall and, and asked asked them if he wanted us to do the warm-ups for the shows, basically. Because everything was just, all the pieces were falling into place. Um and that, that's, that's what happened. It was absolutely amazing, you know, very different to what we were doing on our back-to-back shows because we were obviously playing proper banging house music. But when we were playing with Chic, it was all disco and we were playing pretty early. So we'd start with an empty room. Um, 
theatres usually, big rooms. So we'd start with an empty theatre, playing yeah. pretty slow disco. We'd drop a couple of classic house tunes in there as well. Um, and slowly the room would fill up. And then Niall had come on stage and made the place would erupt. As soon as people saw his face, the, pl- <laughs> the place went off. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, just a quick question, kind of piggybacking off that. Obviously, you know, the goal behind the initial tour was to do this extended set thing. Is that something in general that you prefer? Like if you have the option, are you always going to choose to do a longer set or, you know, what's the ideal time for you? I think it depends on the venue, actually. I think if you asked me this four or five years ago, I would have said, yeah, extended sets everywhere because I do I do love to DJ and love to explore my music collection um, and piece it together in a way that makes sense over long <laughs> periods. But um, sometimes I'll play venues that I just don't feel comfortable in these days, especially big stages that are on show, you know, with big screens and lights and stuff. I can find that a little bit off-putting sometimes to do, to do these extended sets anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, for one or two hours, they're amazing at a festival. But for the long extended sets, I would want a small dark room, DJ booth in a corner, so no one can really even see me, or just a big sound system. And so that people are being submerged into the set rather than looking at me as the focus point. Um, I can kind of switch off from all of that stuff and just focus on what track is going to work well with the one that's playing. That's the ultimate Definitely, goal. Yeah. And then I can, if, if I get lost in that flow state, time becomes irrelevant. So I can play for eight hours and it can feel like half an hour sometimes. Man, that's what we like to hear. It's like, you know, the passion for DJing. You can tell when a, when a big artist doesn't really care and, you know, maybe they're really great at producing, but like for them, it's like, let me just bang out the 60 minute festival set and like, that's it. But, you know, it's an art and there are certain people that have it and certain people that don't, you know, kind of progressing on. I, I just want to, you know, one of the things I like to do when I'm prepping for these interviews is, is follow the music. And I think it can be pretty telling as to, you know, how you're progressing as an artist and then obviously learn more from you as we discuss it. Uh, I felt like around 2016, you know, you were staying true to the sound that you've developed while also kind of getting a little more energy and going a little almost deeper into that hypnotic sound. And then you put out, uh, I think it was On the Edge with Defected. Um, and it's, it was funny to me because I'm, you know, when I saw it and I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is going to sound like because, you know, defected in my mind is obviously like upbeat house music. It's like tech house beach. And you kind of managed to like stay in your sound while also obviously fitting the label. Uh, I just quickly wanted to ask, like, you know, did you decide, like, did you make that track for defected or, you know, what kind of happened with that and, and what was it like working with them and, you know, Simon Dunmore and just kind of a legendary crew over there and then, you know, going on to play a lot of shows with them as well. Yeah. Okay. Where do I start? <laughs> um, <laughs> on the edge. Yeah. Wow. That is going back some years now. Um, I wrote that instrumental way before that um, release. It was written years before that release and it was originally meant to be a singer from a New Zealand band actually called Fat Freddy's Drop. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of those guys. They're a, a big reggae band from New Zealand, but they, they tour the world now. Um, for whatever reason, that, that didn't happen with the, with the lead singer from them. We, did, we recorded a demo, but we never got a final version. So I took the instrumental and gave it to Kerry Ann. We went into a studio together in London. Um, and On the Edge is what came out of that session. So that is when I sent it to Defected. Uh, the record was made first, and I, I was just trying to think of where it might sit, you know, what, where would be a good home. Um, Simon really liked the record, so we put it out. And then that was the start of the relationship with me and Defected, really. We, we did a lot more stuff over the years, and they've been amazing to me. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, they've been so impressive as well, kind of in the last, you know, year and a half during the pandemic, like staying true to their brand and having these amazing live streams. Uh, you know, the next thing I want to ask you about, and I'm glad that you mentioned him already, when I asked, you know, what's your dream billing lineup for a show? The first name you said was Kerry Chandler, and it was like <laughs> automatic for you that you had to include him, right? And I think... Yeah. It's funny because maybe for those that don't know, like he's an American and he is an absolute legend and, you know, a pioneer. And I think he's one of those guys that when you listen to his music often, I know for me even, I was like, oh, I know this song. I know this song. Like everyone plays his stuff or samples it. Um, you uh, you posted a picture with him in like 2014 in, from Paris. And then yes. a couple of years, a couple of years later, you guys link up and you put out the track Can't Deny. And to me, it was a really beautiful track. It felt like, you know, a true combination of both of your sounds. So I was just wondering if you could tell us about how you met him and, you know, what it's like working with a guy like that. Yeah, oh, mate, the way we met is uh, it's almost romantic being in Paris. Um <laughs> We got booked to play the same show at a place called Concrete, I think it was. Um, had views of the Eiffel Tower. Like the club was right on the, the river as well. So it was a beautiful setting. Um, and I'd never met Kerry at the time. I feel like I was very fresh into the scene at this point. Um, but we just really got along. You know, We stayed at the same hotel and um, he invited me down to his sound check. I'm not sure if you if you know, but Kerry's infamous for doing really long sound checks, almost longer than his sets sometimes. So <laughs> he's very. I know he, that. That's great. Wow. He's a man of detail. So um, yeah, he invited me over to the the club in the afternoon to do the sound check, um, and he was teaching me a lot, you know, because he he brings uh, brings bits of equipment to make sure he's getting the room sounding the way he wants. So he's there analyzing frequencies of the room and then he's running to the sound engineer's booth and tweaking frequencies for the sound system. It was amazing to watch. And that's where my respect for him really started because I'm, I'm just as big of a geek for all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, over the years, we started to play more shows together, getting pretty friendly and um, we call each other up every now and then just to catch up and then when I started the label Origins um, it, I mean again that was about paying respect to the roots of house that's been a recurring theme through my career really because <clears throat> I feel like it needed to be celebrated the, the, the roots of house came from America like you said Chicago New York 
Um, and not a lot of people knew that at the time. So I wanted to try and celebrate that. And Kerry was just a natural, uh, natural choice to get involved with the label, you know. That's where Definitely. Can't Deny came from. It's great, man. Uh, you know, and I think... I don't recall, I think what that track came out in like 2016 or, or 17 or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, since then, you've obviously been quite prolific. You put out a ton of music, whether, I mean, it was like the Rabbit Hole EP or, you know, you're anonymous with Hot Creations. And then kind of recently, and, and by the way, I felt like that stuff, you know, it was almost like, it was almost like every release is like, wow, this one's a little deeper, a little more hypnotic. Here we go. And then I thought, you know, in the last couple of years, you've really been like showcasing your versatility, um, maybe some more vocal samples, some upbeat synth, you know, another collab with Bonten. And then as you mentioned yourself, the Dennis Cruz collaboration, which is like, it's, it's one of my favorite kinds of music where it's like a simple baseline. You got the, you know, the Latin vocal sample and it just like makes you want to move. Um, yeah. It's very Latin last, inspired with the pianos yeah. and the, the drums. In the last couple of years, uh, do you feel like you're trying to go in a new direction or you've, you know, just been kind of spreading your wings a little, showing off your diversity in the lab? Um, what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's, none of that is a conscious decision, really. It's uh, I'm just making music that that feels natural to me, and I've always made quite a broad spectrum of stuff, anyway. Um, which I think has always always sort of like toyed with me a bit, thinking, am I going in different directions? You know, where I am releasing on Defected, and I'm also doing stuff with Yoris Vaughan uh, in the more techie techno world um but maybe that's gone in my favor uh but, you know it's not something i've really put too much thought into um i think the rest of my release schedule this year is is definitely more on the techie side of things rather than the house stuff so i've got releases with uh, nicole mudaba on, oh, on wow. her label mood um one on hot, uh, not hot creation, sorry, knee deep in sound, hot since 82's label. Um, and another one with the Oris on rejected. So they're all on that kind of deeper, more main room vibe. Awesome. No, I mean, those are all iconic labels. And I mean, especially, you know, Yoris, he's, he's really, I think also one of these guys in the last year that's really showcased kind of his roots, you know, whether it's playing these all vinyl sets or, you know, specific genres, uh, someone else who's been doing that, who I'm personally a huge fan of, and I have to ask you about is Carl Cox. And, you know, you have this like pretty iconic remix for him um, that I know was something he was really stoked about. And, you know, he was playing out for a while. Again, how, how did that come about? And, you know, for you, I mean, he's, you know, he's like one of the greatest of all time, like, I can see him in the corner mean? there. To, to yeah, your left. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, <clears throat> that just came about. It was a purely a remix request from the label. I think it was the 15th anniversary of that track from Carl Cox. I want you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they were getting some fresh remixes, 
and I was one of the people they came to and um, the the parts that they gave me. Okay, so for anybody that doesn't know, when you get asked to do a remix, you get sent the remix parts, um, which are like usually drums, vocal, bass line, you know, the, the elements of the original track. But because it was made so many years ago, they didn't have a lot of the original parts, so that they were just cutting bits out of the the original tape. So there was oh, wow. quite messy the the remix parts I was given. So I actually spent a week or two doing a lot of research into where Carl had sampled from to make that track. So um, I went and found the original records that he'd sampled from, and basically got the remix parts myself. Um, oh my god yeah yeah so so i put a lot of work into that and i was like right now the production process starts i've got to make this work because yeah this is this is a big one and um yeah it went 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 really well and i still play it quite often that's a great story man i mean yeah it's like you're not you're not getting some some neat zip file with all the stems you're you're just wow um you know one of the things that we're trying to do here is as well as, you know, introducing you to our audience is kind of give our audience a sense of how robust the scene is in other parts of the world. And I think that even just you, you know, telling us about New Zealand, it's not a place that, you know, most Americans would think of as, you know, a haven for house and techno music. I think for a lot of Americans, we know Ibiza, and I do want to ask you about that. So don't answer with that. But are there any places kind of outside of America, you know, you've played all over the world that you think are really special or have a really unique sound that kind of fly under the radar? Yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't say New Zealand is a haven for house music just yet. <laughs> right. There's still a lot of growth to be done. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I think uh, South America is just the, the no brainer for me. There's such a, a, a strong scene down there. Um, the Lost Beach in Ecuador, that's always one of my favorite spots. Um, absolutely amazing people down there. Um, Argentina as well. Very passionate people in Latin America. They're really, really passionate about dancing and, and music. So very energetic crowds. Some of the best parties I've ever played have been in South America. It's amazing. I, I I know personally, like there's a lot of destinations down there that I'm dying to get to as soon as we can. Um, what, as I alluded to, you know, it seems like you have a, a relationship with Ibiza as an island and, uh, you know, you play there a lot, um, whether it's, you know, Cafe Mambo or Amnesia back in the days. Uh, I'm just wondering if you could tell us kind of what that, what it means to you as a place and, you know, how you feel like Ibiza kind of interacts with the house music scene as a whole. I mean, as a place, um, it's, it's very magical. It's really hard to put your finger on what, what it is about that Island, but there is something really magic about it, which can sound quite cliche, but unless you've been, it's hard to put into words. I have heard theories that um, there's a point that called Esvedra, which is a, a big rock that's just off the coast. You can see it um, from the shore. 
huge rock and apparently that's the third most magnetic point in the world apart from the north and south pole i don't know how true that is but i've been told planes can't fly over there because of it wow. and maybe that's got something to do with the the energy that you feel there um so so it's a big hippie place lots of hippies live in caves still over there <laughs> you know? are you serious yeah yeah there's oh there's God. a really big hippie community in in ibiza which is which is part of the magic um but then again on the other side of it you have the music scene um which is obviously for, for house and techno is the strongest in the world during the season um i'd say it's like the the forefront of the of the music scene really is where all the djs go to test new music and is where you're going to see the best djs in the world it's, I mean, I'll tell you, I, uh, I had the opportunity to go one time and I was only there for about 36 hours and I don't know how many of those were sleep. There was, it was probably like, you know, a, a handful, but I could tell you about every hour, like it was yesterday. And it's just, it's really amazing. I mean, as you said yourself, it just has a special energy to it. And I would encourage anyone that hasn't been to, to go as soon as you can, because it's really, really amazing. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, over the last five or 10 years as well, there's been um, a big, a big growth in like the well-being side of it, you know, meditation retreats and um, lots of healthy restaurants and stuff like that. So although you can go out and you can stay awake for five days if you want, um, if you're more health conscious, you can do Ibiza in a different way these days. It's not all just about partying. There's there's lots of uh, lots of focus on well-being over there these days. You know, as as you mentioned earlier, and just now, you know, being you know the health, wellness, and kind of being in touch with nature is something that's important to you in your life. Are there places in the world that are just really special to you, just from a you know nature kind of getting out of touch with? the way society is today and escaping uh, for you new zealand is is the one for me you know that's um i think the fact it's so far away from anywhere as well kind of adds to that um it's very unspoiled and untouched with such a small population here there's um <clears throat> there's still a lot of bushland and just rural farms and stuff you know you can drive 30 minutes out of the city and you feel like you're in Jurassic Park, <laughs> minus the dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I, I think like it's one of those places that a lot of like fantasy movies go to film. You know, famously the Lord of the Rings, but I, they're not the only ones. And it's like it's for a reason. And when you go there, you understand. I mean, it's just like yeah. they're actually making so the new different. Avatar here at the moment. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's a big film studio in Wellington. Um, I forget the name of it. Webbers, maybe Webbers, mm. Webbers Production Studios, something like that. But yeah, Avatar is the latest project. So you know what I kind of wanted to close with here, uh, bringing it back to the music. Um, you know, you described to us, and as we know, like you've played on a lot of different stages over the years, and you know, you were telling us about the way you prefer to play depending on the set length, you know, kind of how you've done it for you going forward. 
you know, if you're building out kind of the ideal tour for you, or, you know, you have the resources to do whatever you want on your next tour, what would it look like? And, you know, how do you kind of envision presenting, you know, your performance in a perfect world? Oh, per- perfect tour is a tricky one to, to say at the moment, but I've, <laughs> I've got a pretty amazing tour lined up for the end of July and August. And a lot of that is around the States. Um, so for me, I mean, after the last year of COVID, that is kind of the dream tour for me at the moment. <laughs> Just playing at all. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Because, I mean, the scene in America has grown a lot over the last few years, and I've been very lucky to be there and witness that firsthand. Um, some amazing crowds over in the States. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back and, and seeing people over there. It's awesome. We are too. Uh, it's it's going to be crazy here when it opens up. I'm just curious, you know, is there anywhere in the U.S., kind of similar to my European question, you know, whether it's a major city or just a random small venue that you've played that you think needs to be highlighted? Um, let's go with a small venue because the one that's springing to mind is Shady Park in, um, in Tempe. Oh, in Arizona. Um, Arizona. Okay. Or is it Te- Tempe? Is that how you say it? I think it is Tempe, but I'll have to ask my friends out there. Awesome. Well, listen, yeah, Josh, thank you. Thank you so much oh, for mate, coming yeah. by. We really appreciate Pleasure. the time. Uh, I don't know exactly when we're putting the interview out, but uh, really looking forward to it. This was really great. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in the U.S. again. Hopefully, next time you're in New York, we'll link up and uh, just get weird on the dance floor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So uh, let me just get the calendar out. I'm going to be in New York on the on the 24th of July. So if you want to come down to the to the show at the Brooklyn Mirage, just hit me oh, up. Are you man. you're, you're, you're playing the you playing the Elro show? Elro, yeah, me and Bontan. Oh, back to back. Yeah. Oh, mate. You know I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Brooklyn. It's right around the corner. Amazing. Oh, perfect. Well, if you want me to put you on the list, just just shout and um, it's a done deal. I got you. I got you. We also, you know, uh, my it's funny because my um, MJ, who is kind of my boss on this and is coordinating everything and he is our fearless leader, is also the guy who's helping to book Elro. Um, so... You can thank him for that one. And uh, we look forward to everyone in New York, July 24th, Elro, Josh Butler, Bontan. Don't miss it. Yeah, that's going to be one hell of a return show. Oh, my God. I mean, what a way to come back, eh? They don't even know. They don't even know. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. See you soon, mate.